everyone. Welcome to Now We're Talking, a podcast about communication skills. I'm Rob Danish from the University of Waterloo, and I'm a professor of communication studies. And we've been talking about uh, persuasion, or persuasion or persuasive communication strategies and leadership some in the last couple episodes. And I want to pick up where I left off in the last two episodes. Uh, we were talking about fascism and we were talking about why the Democratic Party continues to lose elections that it really ought to win. Uh, and I forgot to make one kind of final point that I really wanted to make, which will extend into a larger sort of practice or strategy for, for today. Um, but the point I was trying to make in both the last two podcasts is that people want meaning, not health care or not gun control laws or not a balanced budget. They want meaning first. They might want health care or a balanced budget or gun control laws, but only if those policies are a consequence or something, an entailment of, or something that comes out of a narrative or a set of values that gives their life meaning. Uh, in fact, people are starved for meaning. They want desperately to have meaning. If they don't have meaning in their lives, then they're depressed and dysfunctional. Um, so it's not ever sufficient for a politician to just provide an audience or a constituency with a policy if that policy is not supported by or an entailment of a set of meanings or a narrative that gives shape and meaning to the world. Um, and I think that's the kind of issue that fascism and fascist rhetoric understands so, so clearly and so well. It's a narrative that gives meaning to people's lives. Um, and it's the, the insight that it seems to me, for, the, for my lifetime at least, the left just fails and again and again and again to understand. Um, and that's really kind of uh, tragic in its own way right now, or we're living the kind of tragic consequences of that. But it's the only way for me that I can explain why people will routinely vote against things like their own health like healthcare. You know, why do so many millions of Republicans not want the government to give them free health care? It doesn't make any any rational sense, uh, but it's because that policy is implicated inside a larger meaning structure, meaning structure that's been it's been built by the, the Republican Party uh, with its own narrative and with its own values. And those things condition people's understanding of of the world. So today um I want to continue talking about leadership and persuasion and extends maybe the right word is uh, kind of narrow down or focus in on uh, one particular kind of set of, of persuasive persuasive strategies uh, well at least a distinction between a set of strategies that people often employ that we know don't work and a set of strategies that people do employ that we know do work um, and to get at that, I want to start with um, a kind of, this is, uh, I don't love overgeneralizing, but this is, and this is a bit of an overgeneralization, but for the most part, um, and my experience in life has taught me that a lot of people are obsessed with being right. It's really, really important to them that they're right for some reason. And so the way that they communicate with you or the way they choose to communicate with you 
is to show you that their view of the world is as the world really is. You know, they want to they want to say, look, don't you see the world is really this way? And they become quite adamant about communicating with you in a way that shows you the world really is X. Um, but we know that the world as it really is for one person is not the same as the world as it really is for someone else. In other words, uh, my view of the world doesn't directly line up with your view of the world, or I don't see the world in exactly the same way as you see the world. And I'm a pragmatist. I don't get in too much into the academic philosophy of pragmatism, um, but pragmatism, like several other philosophies, is committed to pluralism, and pluralism is the idea that Lots of us have different perspectives on, on the world. And part of our job is to reconcile all those different different perspectives as humans. That's one of the things that we do. Uh, so one kind of like generic attempt at persuasion is to willfully move the person that you're talking to to your view of the world, to try and force them into think or into seeing the world as you see the world. And people that kind of believe that think that persuasion is a matter of you, uh, of an audience kind of taking on the view of the world that the, the speaker or the communicator or the original rhetor or the person has of the world. And I see this all the time in nearly every kind of aspect of my life. So I wrote a LinkedIn post recently. I posted it on, on, on Facebook also. And I'm obviously friends with my mother on Facebook and my mother reshared it. And some Yahoo retired idiot that she's friends with on Facebook wrote a response to it. And, and the response was something like, oh, this must be your son. Wow, this is, you know, kind of right. But, you know, your son gets this other thing wrong. And let me tell you, with all of my experience in sales for 50 years, I know the world is this way and people need to be X. And like, I, I just thought to myself, what does this guy want out of it? Like, what is this person getting out of this? Uh, he's displaying for his Facebook world, at least to see his obsession with being right and his desire to communicate in such a way that he shows off that his view of the world is the right view of the world. And I guess presumably he would expect I would read it and then all of a sudden say, oh, yes, that view of the world is the correct view of the world. My view of the world is the incorrect view of the world. Um, I also, I, I received lots of email. I got like a just a ridiculous email from a colleague recently where they go on a diatribe, like a long email that, that says that, oh, the process at the university is really X. And it's a description of their view, their understanding of the process. And they send it to a whole bunch of people and a whole bunch of people have to read this thing. And the, the person writing that message doesn't realize that all the other people reading the thing also have different views of that process at the university. They might not think it's exactly the same as he's described it or she's described it. Um, but that person doesn't care. They, they write in such a way that's like pounding on the desk saying, don't you see the world is really like this. And the people that write like that are convinced that if they just try harder and harder and harder, if they just more forcefully and strongly and rationally describe the world as, as they see it, that we will just wilt and eventually accept that view of the world as the way it really is. Um, we call that in, in my persuasion class, at least, we call that a push tactic of persuasion. And uh, people that practice push tactics of persuasion are, guess what, not very good at persuasion. They usually don't get the thing that they want. Um, you won't persuade anyone of anything if you start with the assumption 
that the way the world really is, is how you view it. And that your job is to make sure that other people view the world as you view it. And that's at the core of a push tactic of persuasion. This is mistaking communication as the transmission of information or the transmission of a kind of fact about the world for communication as a rhetorical process of, of producing effects. The question that those people don't ask is what effect am I having by trying to force this view of the world on an audience? And I, t I tell my students that these, this is a push tactic of persuasion because then I ask my students, what happens when someone literally physically pushes you? Well, you go backwards, you go further away from them. So to push someone is to push them away from, from you. Uh, and it's to do so with, with force. And the harder, and of course, the harder you push, what happens? The further away physically the person um, gets from you. So what actually happens with people who are obsessed with being right and communicate in such a way that they're trying to constantly show that their view of the world is the, is the right view is that they end up pushing their audiences further and further and further away. So that manifests itself in communication by people becoming more and more wedded to a view different than the view that the person is trying to persuade them of. And those people become that you're pushing become more and more defensive of their own view of the world, which is not the same as the view of the world that that's the person's trying to push them on. So here's another example. Um, I have a lunatic friend from high school who's a staunch Republican. And uh, I have another friend from high school who's like a Southern California person now and is a doctor. And uh, it, it, he put some Facebook post on about universal healthcare. Like, why can't we have universal healthcare in America? And my other crazy lunatic friend, you know, writes something like, oh, like we don't want to be Canada. Canada's healthcare system is broken and, and it's terrible. And I felt as Canadian now that the, I needed to say something and I've had a lot of experience in the Canadian healthcare system, which has all been extremely wonderful. I can see my doctor and literally it's 7.45 in the morning right now. I can see my doctor by 10 a.m. and he's a world-renowned specialist if I really needed to. So, you know, I wrote back, I'm like, you know, it's not really true. Like I see my doctor you know, whenever I need to, like I don't pay anything. You know, my taxes are the same as taxes, income taxes in say New York state. Uh, and of course, this other kid went nuts. He was like, no, 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 you all like millions of Canadians are flooding across the border to get health and uh, health care in America because healthcare in Canada is terrible. And so I try, I was like, you know what, I'm going to try to engage with this. And I tried to, to show him my view of the world and its accuracy. So I quoted statistics. I said, you know, roughly only 80,000 Canadians go across the border or go to another country for healthcare, and it's usually for cosmetic surgery, uh, the vast majority for cosmetic surgery. So it's it's only in extraordinarily rare circumstances where there's some very specialized surgery that someone in one of the provinces can't can't perform. So I try very hard to rationally build a case and to get this person to see the case. And of course, while I'm doing it, I'm getting more and more frustrated because uh, he can't see the world the way I see it. He doesn't see my experience in the Canadian healthcare system. He doesn't see or share my view of the Canadian healthcare system. And the more I try to explain it, the more I push him to receive that view. What do you think happens? Well, he gets more and more irritated, starts linking, you know, Fox News posts left and right. And so the argument, of course, ratchets up. He feels pushed. And the harder I push, the more defensive and entrenched he becomes in his position. People's obsession with being right 
and communicating in such a way that they attempt to demonstrate their rightness almost always leads in that direction. And that is not in the direction of persuasion. It's the in, in direction of um, creating more distance and more division between you and the person you're trying to, to convince or to persuade. So um, I guess, I, I mean, we're already quite far into this episode. I'm not going to get as far as I want in terms of the practices or tactics. But so here's one thing that um, leaders no is not persuasive and one thing that leaders don't do so leaders don't try to push their view of the world on followers forcefully uh, they recognize that there is a difference between their view of the world and everyone else's view of the world and instead of forcefully pushing by trying to be right or trying to explain to everyone else in the room that they're right uh, they well okay for starters they don't do that uh, and in fact, so people that are obsessed with being right are oftentimes just demonstrating, of course, their own deep insecurity about their view of the world. It's like they're announcing subconsciously that they recognize other people don't view the world the same way. And they're really anxious about that, those contradictions or those tensions. And so they say more and more loudly that their view of the world must be the right view of the world in order to try and make themselves feel better about the differences between their view of the world and other people's view of the world. So my colleague who wrote this long email about how messed up one particular process was at the university, he's trying desperately to convince other people that that process is also unjust or corrupt or, or not any good. But he, he's doing so so vociferously that he's indicating his own awareness of the fact that others are likely to not view the process that way. And um, so it's a kind of communicative announcement in an implicit way of your own insecurity. Um, so that's why it, it, uh, these kinds of push tactics of persuasion don't work and they create more distance between audiences. Um, okay, so uh, you know, one lesson for today is that don't be obsessed with being right and don't communicate in such a way that you're trying to show people that you're right and that your view of the world is the right view of the world. Because the more you communicate like that, probably the less persuasive you'll be because you'll be pushing your, your audience into a more entrenched understanding of their own positionality from the get-go. Um, so in my classes, we juxtapose push tactics of persuasion with what I call pull tactics of persuasion. And I'm always telling my students, uh, what you want out of a communicative interaction is first and foremost for people to feel closer to you. If people feel closer to you, then um, that is a necessary achievement for persuasion to take place. If people feel further away from you, uh, then they're going to be less likely to be convinced by your position or led around to the thing that you want them to, to believe. So I try to get my students to think in terms of distance. And if push tactics of persuasion introduce greater distances between you and the audience, then they're not particularly good. So uh, we want what I call at least pull tactics of persuasion. And you see this in political campaigns as well. I, th I think what we see most often is the Democratic Party pushing policies on audiences. This is what I, at least I saw with Al Gore and with John Kerry and with lots of the failed uh, Democratic candidates with Hillary Clinton. They, they want to to say, look, the world is 
uh, like X and policy Y will solve it. If you just see policy Y and understand policy Y, you'll know that it's in your best interest and it will solve that thing. So what I was saying at the beginning is that people want meaning in their lives. They don't want policies. They don't want healthcare um, is related to this because if a political party uses a push tactic of persuasion by trying to say announce their policy initiatives and their policy plans and then tries to build a rational case about why that set of policies is really the one you ought to prefer and they try and push you into accepting or believing or being committed to that set of policies, then they're doing it wrong. They're, they're understanding or engaging in the political campaigning process the, in the wrong manner. So leaders recognize that pull tactics of persuasion are often preferable to push tactics of persuasion. Political, successful political campaigners realize this also. One of Bill Clinton's kind of most magical qualities, and he did it in, like, we don't have the time in this podcast to rhetorically analyze how Bill Clinton did this, but for he used specific rhetorical devices to create this sense of intimacy and to pull people closer to him. People felt really close, the strong affinity for Bill Clinton for some reason. And they still kind of feel that he still engenders this kind of uh, sense of endearment in some crowds. And of course, with other lots of crowds, I mean, Republican Party kind of hates Bill Clinton. Uh, they, they hate the Clintons kind of viciously. But um, I would say at the very least, what the Clinton campaign seemed aware of is the necessity of using communication strategies that would kind of pull audiences closer to president, or in that case, in the case of the original campaign candidate, the candidate. Um, so pull tactics of persuasion are the outcome of what I would call a strategic leader. Um, and so one, and, and probably in, I'll have to wait till the next episode to get to some pull tactics of persuasion, but here's the kind of last thing about the difference between push and pull that I wanna make clear. I think one thing we ought to always ask ourselves about any kind of communication practice. So let's say you sit down to write an email to your boss. You, you have to ask yourself, not only do you ask what effect is this having on the boss, but what am I getting out of this? And so people that practice push tactics of persuasion, I think rarely ask themselves, what am I getting out of this? So if in the middle of the meeting you raise your hand and you say, you know, all you people are dumb, you don't know what you're doing, we should be doing this other thing, which would be much smarter to do, you have to stop and ask yourself, okay, what effect is this having? But also, what am I getting out of that intervention? I think leaders are really good at asking that question. And because oftentimes people that practice push tactics of persuasion are getting some sort of psychological satisfaction out of trying to push other people around. But that sense of psychological satisfaction doesn't get them the result they're after. So it makes them feel better for a moment, but it doesn't actually get other people to, to come around to their worldview. Um, and all like lots of us are susceptible to this kind of move in the world. I've done it lots of times where in the middle of a meeting, I get frustrated and I say, oh, you, don't you people understand that it's X? And then afterward, I think, what did I get out of that? Well, I made myself feel better, but I did not advance the interests of what I was advocating for. So I did not persuade anyone of anything. I just made myself feel better. So if you're the kind of person that has a tendency to want to always be right, you have to ask yourself what you're getting out of 
those communicative practices that demonstrate your rightness to the world. And I think leaders are savvy, good leaders at least, are savvy enough to recognize that and don't engage in communication practices that kind of psychologically soothe their ego or get them feeling better in the moment, they are much more strategic than that. They choose practices that will advance their interests. Uh, and those practices are often pull techniques of persuasion, not push techniques of persuasion. And people that practice push techniques often just get this sense of self-satisfaction without the actual material results that they were after in the first place, which is really, really shocking. So usually for me, my kind of rule of thumb is that if I see someone that's constantly pushing, constantly saying, don't you see the world is this way? Don't you see the world is this way? Um, I know that they will not make a very good leader. They're not fit for a leadership position because they don't know how to strategically communicate uh, in ways that would pull audiences closer to them to um, generate uh, stronger degrees of, of persuasion. So yeah, we'll have to talk about some pull techniques of persuasion at some point. Obviously, uh, narrative and talking about values are two of the primary pull tactics of, of persuasion. Um, I'm just doing some research on communication uh, master's programs because my department and my program is thinking about a new communication program. And uh, I was looking at Columbia's, Columbia has a strategic communication executive kind of MBA program. And of course, what I found, which was fascinating, fascinating is that they have both a course called the reflective, a course called the reflective leader, a course called principles and persuasion, and um, uh, a strategic kind of uh, a course called master narrative. So the master narrative course is like a, an elective where you understand how every large organization needs a compelling story because that story kind of draws people in to want to work. Uh, so students in, in that program learn how to create this kind of master narrative and it helps with their, their with their strategic communication practices. And I thought, of course, and I'm glad that Columbia is doing it well. Um, and I, hopefully our master's program will also contain a component like that as well because we'll want people to be leaders who graduate from it. Um, okay, well, I, I've said enough about the difference between push and pull tactics of persuasion. Uh, this has been episode 47 of, of Now We're Talking. And uh, I think I mentioned in the previous episodes that I have a new book out called What Effect Have I Had? You can look for it on Amazon.com. And in What Effect Have I Had? We, I deal with, uh, I think, 20 different pull tactics of persuasion toward the end of the book that all leaders should be aware of or, or good at. Uh, so we talk about charisma as a pull tactic and storytelling, etc. So pick up a copy of the book if you get a chance, if you're interested in, in these kinds of things. And uh, I'll be back with another episode in a week or so. Thanks, everyone, for listening.